0: Welcome to Living in a Material World, and I'm your host, David Parada. Today's guest is a legend in the industry. Her name is Kelly Kovac. She's the founder and creator of Beauty Matter and so many other amazing things in the industry and a dear friend. Welcome, Kelly. Hi,
1: David. It's so nice to be on the other side of this equation.
0: (laughs) I know. Actually, one of the first podcasts I ever was on was yours in New York, and then I had so much fun, so I kind of figured why not try it out for a year and see how it goes?
1: (laughs) I love podcasts because it's a totally different format. It's much more intimate and the conversations are just different. So you're a talker. I have no doubt you'll be doing a season two.
0: (laughs) Oh, you think? Okay, hopefully we'll see how it goes. You know, I wanted to talk about, you know, the climate out there in our industry. Retail has shifted so much and, you know, I'm always restructuring my own company. I think Unfortunately, that's why I've been around almost 13 years with my own business. But if it wasn't for re kind of finding new solutions and repositioning and changing the structure of how I run my business, I wouldn't be able to be around anymore. So I wanted to talk about just the climate out there and how the retail channel has changed significantly in the last, you know, 10 years and even from when we started. Let's take it from there. And also, before we go anywhere, I I always love everyone knowing your background and how you started in the industry. So let's go back to even before Dr. Dennis Gross and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Yeah,
1: no, I have a totally random career path, I suppose, that had no real plan to it. You know, I guess 25 years into it, the connective tissue really is, I don't know whether to call it curiosity or a short attention span, but... You know, I sort of have found myself at different parts of my career, just feeling like things were done, that I had learned as much as I could, and it was time to move on. And for better or worse, wasn't afraid of reinvention, I guess. I never really thought about it. It was just like, this isn't working. I got to go. And, you know, I started my career in retail on the sales floor, not in beauty, but in fashion. I was supposed to be going to college. My parents were paying tuition. And told me not to work, even though I come from a family, like we didn't have a lot of money and them. Sending me to college was a big investment, but I wasn't really into the whole college thing and went and got a job. And I was working at Benetton back in the day, which totally ages me. And so I went from, you know, a few hours a week to being the assistant manager of four stores. And going to college. So I was still going to school. It wasn't like I totally bailed (laughs) on college. I was going. I just wasn't terribly interested. I wish, in hindsight, I was a little more interested and applied myself. But that's kind of where my career started, was running those four stores. And once I left college, I worked for a family that owned the distribution of Benetton in the United States, and they had been trying to get me to quit school to run a store, And I told them, that's not going to happen and my parents will literally hunt you down. (laughs) But as soon as I left school, I was just like, here's a job. I'll take it. And it was crazy. You know, I was working insane hours, 60, 70 hours a week, making like $17,000 with no insurance, but loved it. And that's sort of where my career started in retail and then went to sort of luxury retail Moved to New York, ended up on the sales floor of Bergdorf Goodman in the men's store, selling Chrome Hearts and Stephen Sprouse and a lot of other cool designers, and found my way to the supply side of the fashion industry. And from there, was really sort of in a situation where I was in an untenable situation, but worked for someone sort of powerful in the industry, so nobody else would hire me unless I quit. But I was really young, so I was just like, is that a thing? I, can I quit? And, and it was during the summer, so that was sort of a, going into the summer. It was an awkward time. A really dear friend of mine who's still a friend today who I met on the floor of Bergdorf Goodman is Michael Wom, who is still in the spa industry, and he was going to work for this new startup called Bliss. And he was going to run the spa, and he needed some people to work the front desk, and he said, come over for the summer. So I agreed to it, and then quickly found myself heading up this idea that Marcia Kilgore had, which was to create a catalog in the beauty industry. And that was that. I mean, that is how I ended up in the beauty industry. I was part of the original executive team at Bliss. I was responsible for the catalog. I stayed there until the exit to LVMH in 99. That's kind of where everything clicked for me, that I could be creative and run a business. And I loved the beauty industry. I thought the people were so generous, and both with their time and their knowledge. And I love the psychology behind it all. It just like the marketing of beauty just was really intuitive to me. And that's really sort of what set me on my path. And then from there, it's been... A series of agencies and advisory practices. I've started a couple of my own brands. I did do a stint at Dr. Dennis Gross. Also, I was the original part of the original executive team there as well. I was their first vice president of marketing. It's interesting that's come full circle. I'm still involved with the business in a very different capacity today, but 21 years later to be still attached to a brand is is amazing. And, you know, fast forward to kind of where I am today, still advising brands a little bit, but really focusing on building beauty matter out, an idea that turned into a business and not anything I ever contemplated doing, to be quite honest.
0: Well, I know everyone in the industry that I know can't wait every time you send out the email blast that it's the newer like I just read another one yesterday and I was talking to the founders of Rowan and the husband reads them from beginning to end non-stop and he like knows everything you're writing about and I was just like wow I love how Kelly has become the new Women's Wear Daily for me anyway I actually read yours before I read WWD now so I love what you're doing.
1: Thank you. The interesting thing now is that I feel like I have sort of a split personality. So I have people who know my whole background, right, and know that I come from the brand side of things and the brands I've created and and all of those things. And then there's this whole and potentially much larger group of people who think I'm a journalist, which I find bizarre on some level because I'm certainly not. But the fact that Beauty Matter is run by a bunch of people who are owners, operators, entrepreneurs, is that magic that we have that other platforms don't have. Because we have a different lens, we have, I'm going to call it a historic lens, I've been around for 25 years, so indie beauty brands aren't a new thing. I lived through them 25 years ago. That's how I got my start. But it is really kind of fascinating to kind of have this split personality because all of the things I've done up to now have really informed my ability to own and run this business in in a unique way. All the brands I started that didn't have an exit that should have, all the mistakes, all the entrepreneurs and different variations of businesses all in form in a really unique way what I do at Beauty Matter. And so I think that context is interesting, but for some people who don't have it, I guess it's really not that important.
0: No, I love your journey and I love knowing the two sides of Kelly Kovac.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think Beauty Matter initially, I'm like, there's a randomness to it, right? The idea behind launching it was... The beauty industry historically has been really insular, and I think it's very different now. And I think when I was contemplating launching Beauty Matter, the B2B landscape in beauty was very, very different. Vogue Business didn't exist. Business of Fashion wasn't covering beauty. Glossy didn't exist. Beauty Independent didn't exist. And now I think it's, if I were thinking about it now, I'm not even sure I would launch Beauty Matter. I think all of those other platforms do fantastic job covering beauty in their own way. Do I think we do a great job Absolutely. And I think we have a very unique audience and point of view, but none of that existed when Beauty Matter was rattling around in my head.
0: No, I actually love the voice that Beauty Matter has. It kind of relates to so many different people from someone that's just getting into the industry or some a veteran. I actually feel like you've built a really good community around what beauty matter more so than the other platforms that you brought up before. I think you have a community. I actually see beauty matter growing in so many different levels in my head. We'll talk about it offline one day, but like, I definitely,
1: uh, (laughs) (laughs) we're just getting started. Believe
0: me, you know? I know. I know. I was just like, every time I think about it, I was like, wow, she can just go in so many different directions. I like, love it.
1: I think also The unique opportunity we had was it was really launched as an idea, and in my gut, I thought there was a business to build, but I didn't know that for certain, and I had no way of really quantifying it. I mean, yes, everyone that I spoke to and shared my idea with thought that was the case, but they were also friends. But the first time we launched, and also, like, I'm not a tech person, right? I was not going to figure out how to put out a WordPress site. I didn't know how much this was going to cost. So I couldn't do it unless I figured out a way to do it. And, you know, the universe shows up in strange ways. And through some friends, two guys needed wanted out of an ad agency and they were developers and marketers. And I needed that on the advisory side. And I said, sure, come on over. But there's a caveat. You have to help me build this thing I have in my mind. I don't know if anyone's going to read it. If there's not a business to be built here, we'll use it for marketing, the agency. And so we set out and built it. And that's actually how it got built. And we launched it a year later, was a blog and with aggregated content and a newsletter. And the first email we sent on my inbox absolutely exploded. And I knew at that moment that we were onto something, but I didn't know what. I didn't know what the business model was. I was too busy doing other things. So for three years, I did it on the side and the business evolved or the community platform evolved without any pressure of having to make money. It was, I supported it every month with a non-existent team and we just published content and we paid attention and we asked questions and we tried things during that time. So many people were like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I have a plan. And I knew one day I'd focus on it. Like there would be a time where it made sense. And that time happened about two years ago.
0: So good So now, a hundred percent of your time, or let's say 80% of your time is given to beauty matter.
1: Yeah, you know, that we had a there was a really big milestone. It was last year. So John Caffarelli, who you also know, came on and the journey with me with sort of just a, a handshake and helped me build Beauty Matter for about 18 months, sort of from a financial infrastructure strategy and lots of other things. And we put ourselves on payroll for the first time last spring. So just to be able to sort of draw a salary, believe me, it's a meager one, but it's still a proper salary was like a huge turning point for us. And now we have a team of 11 and it's exciting.
0: That's incredible. Do you guys have a physical office or does everybody like work remotely? Because it's just like the way the world is right now.
1: We started building this out about... Maybe six months before the pandemic, so it was really just three of us, and we were using Soho House and Spring Place kind of as our office. So we were kind of working remotely. Go heading into the pandemic, and right now our team is spread out between the West Coast, the UK, and India. So even if we have a physical office, there's always going to be this remote component to what we do. But we are sort of craving kind of just being in person again so anyone who's listening if you have office space you want to share in New York City we're looking
0: Yeah, I think it's always great to have, like, a physical space to have, like, that, you know, my world is sales. So, like, it's always great when other salespeople can hear each other working because it just motivates them to even just, like, propel them to the next level for business development. And so when everyone's working remotely from home, it just, like, we still make it happen, but it's just the magic appears when there's that energy of creativity and development and all that kind of stuff so like we kind of when we came back to the office I just felt such a difference again I still come here at times when no one's here because I love working alone I did love working remotely I did enjoy working remotely because for us we're always traveling for work so for the first time in a year and a half I didn't have to be anywhere so I was just like wow this is incredible I just had to be in front of my laptop
1: (laughs) I know but didn't you miss it I realized that One of the big realizations during COVID was that like all that business travel was really so much of a part of like who I am and what I do. Because even when I travel for business, when I travel to LA, one of my best friends lives there. So I stay, well, two of them actually. So I have options, but so I'm always staying with a friend who has a much bigger apartment than I do. And they happen to both be really good cooks. So, you know, there's also this like connecting with friends that have nothing to do with beauty, but then also connecting with – there's that spontaneity that happens when you meet people. So like the last time I was in L.A., I was having dinner with someone. They're like, have you heard about this social selling platform called Flip? I'm like, yes, I saw there was a, a party. They're like, the party was great. You need to know them. There was a text that happened. A meeting happened the next day. And fast forward, we're planning our first event with them in January.
0: Oh, my God. I I went to it. I never go to these events.
1: I heard it was fantastic.
0: It was so much fun. I ran into, like, Frederick Fakai. I ran into, like, so many different founders. You know, we sat around. I even started talking to the founder of New Face, and we started DMing each other. So it was a great community.
1: I miss all of that. I mean, I was even excited to go to Las Vegas for Cosmoprof. And I mean, I love Cosmoprof and I love the people at Cosmoprof, but I hate Vegas with a passion. But I was even excited to go there.
0: (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. You know, I haven't been to Vegas since like the last, maybe two Crosmo props ago. And I, like in 2019 was the last I was there and we had to go back for a quick little wedding. And I was like, I think I don't mind Vegas when I'm not in those massive casinos and those massive conference. I love like the little boutique spaces, but I hate Vegas too with a passion. My whole team knows I never want to go to Vegas like I send someone else. (laughs) So I wanted to talk about like, you know, how different like for me, like we both started like I love when people are like, oh, indie beauty. I was like, yes, we were both. There, like you know, I started indie beauty in 1999. You started before that, and you know, I started working with brands like Sundari, which was like very based on Ayurveda and face oils and eye oils, which people thought I was crazy at Bergdorf's and at Barney's, trying to sell people on putting oil on their face. But at the same time, it kind of helped me get to where I needed to go to when I launched my own company. But even when I started my business in 2009, when I moved out to LA, there wasn't much happening even in Indies still. It was, we still had like, there was always those handful of like superstars that launched, but there wasn't so much noise as there is today. I think it was after Instagram and after influencers started gaining, you know, propelling and having a huge audience in their own community when I started seeing so much, I hate saying it, like crap coming out there. But like I did start seeing so much product that I was just like, what is all this? Why is every celebrity, every influencer, why is everyone creating product? And they don't even know what's in their product. So I wanted to hear it from your side, because I look up to everything you do. You've always been not only a friend, but someone I loved. I always looked up to since the beginning of time in my career.
1: Well, yes. I mean, we met when you were on the sales floor at Barney's and I poached you for an event. But, well, I did it. I had someone do it. But it's interesting because I think on one level, so much has changed. But on another level, nothing has. And what I mean by that is, I think it's obviously never been easier to launch a brand. That goes without saying, It's very easy to find someone, if you want 12 pieces of product and you want to wrap labels on it and launch a website yourself, like, yeah, you can be in business. So I think the barrier to entry to show up with I don't even want to say a brand because a brand requires much more than that. But to be in business has never been easier. And, you know, there was an article that got a lot of traction about the fact that you could start a beauty brand for $5,000. You know what? Yeah, maybe. You would need that lightning bolt moment. (laughs) And, or you would need to be, it's an anomaly. Starting a a beauty brand with $5,000 is not a reality. Mm -hmm. Even you and I, with everything we know, all the people we know pulling favors, we couldn't start a brand for $5,000. So that whole narrative, it's like this urban myth, right? You know, you start, you show up and you build a beauty brand and Estee Lauder or L'Oreal is going to show up with a billion dollar check. And there's this whole industry that has popped up around supporting this dream of entrepreneurs. I think that's one dynamic. I think there's a lot of dynamics to the question you asked. I think that's one dynamic. And I think at the end of the day, it's driven by the fact that the exits have gotten bigger. There's more coverage of funding rounds and and exits, which gives this entrepreneurs an unrealistic Idea of what it takes because as brands are going through the funding process, I'm sure you've noticed founding stories change, distribution strategies change. It all becomes positioning for the next raise or positioning for the exit. So there's the marketing of the business on the consumer side, but there's also marketing of businesses that happens on the business side. And that's to attract retailers, that's to attract distributors, that's to attract Money And those narratives aren't always, I don't want to say they're not truthful, they're serving a purpose. And so I think these brands that have had billion dollar exits that appear to have happened overnight, very often they're like a decade plus in the making. You know, you can't build a brand overnight. So you've got that dynamic. And then you also have the beauty industry has for the past, I don't know, five, seven years, the amount of money that has flooded into this sector from venture capital and private equity is mind boggling. The money that is being spent on seed rounds is mind boggling to me. You also have to look at all these brands from the lens of like not all indie brands are created equal. So if I start a brand and I've self-funded it, it's a very different experience than someone who has had the fortune or luck to raise $3 million in seed capital. They're fundamentally different. There's this big indie beauty category, but not they're very different. I would argue an indie brand with venture funding is an animal unto itself. So there's a lot at play. I mean, there was a time where you could self-fund a business at retail, very often started at Barney's and grow it organically. Those days are over because you now you have sort of money, private equity super angels with their thumb on the scale. So it's changed the dynamic of everything. And I think it's also been made to look easier than it is. And there are platforms that have popped up that basically will build brands for these creators. The business model has changed. What I think needs to change is what the criteria is for success. So the criteria for success now appears to be how much money can you raise at how big a valuation. That's success. For some people, how big's the exit is success for other people. But I also think that we need to reframe success to, you know what? I feel like if you start a brand or any kind of business and you make enough money to pay your mortgage, support your family, send your kids to school, like that's success too. And I think that's not valued enough in the current environment.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So interesting because, um, you know, I always built brands organically from the beginning. So for me, it was just like, you know, I thank God for Barney's coming from there. I think many people came to work with me because of my relationship with Barney's and because I always launched every single one of my brands into Barney's. Once Barney's, you know, folded, it kind of shifted things, especially for my strategy, because, you know, where do I launch these young brands that don't have the seed capital that have put in their own investment into it? And that also for them, they look at, they're looking at these brands that have sold for, you know, 20 to a hundred to even a billion. And they're just like, they're looking at, they're thinking that's where they need to be as well. Instead of building a brand from the foundation, there is still ways to do it. Like for me, my specialty retailers still build these brands. And then eventually that Nordstrom still call, but people want it fast now.
1: There's also the intent, right? So there are some brands that, People only launch brands because they have a plan for an exit. And if you go down the fundraising path and you start taking money from venture capital, you need to have a liquidity event. That's the game, right? But I think that there is still a way. I have heard more and more people making the decision not to take money, especially sort of venture capital money, because they wanted to be the owners of their destiny they were happy to go slower. And I've also heard more business, even some businesses that have taken money, like Prima, that have set out like they are building a legacy brand. They're not looking to do it fast. They're looking to build a brand that will be here 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now. And I think that that building brands with intent that are here to last, there was a moment during that when D2C brands were launching thinking they had reinvented the wheel and there was a shortcut. Ironically, at that point, I was like, maybe I'm just out of touch. Like, I do not see how this works. But okay, this whole will get profitable one day, like, uh, okay. But it, it comes back to and the importance of physical brick and mortar retail, not only from the role it plays at achieving scale, but the importance of making that connection with consumers. So, you know, you started, we started this conversation about the current state of retail and for, Everyone has been ringing the death knell of brick and mortar retail. I mean, again, today I saw it was, how is Macy's navigating the retail apocalypse? I'm like, there is no fucking retail apocalypse, okay? What's happening is bad retail has no place anymore. So either get your act together and show up with something new and don't chase discounts and don't chase the middle or there's no place for you. So even during the pandemic, I had lots of interesting conversations with investors that are like, brick and mortar's dead. I'm like, It's not dead. It's going to come back stronger than ever because people want human connection. Like, it's how we're wired. I don't want to sit behind a screen and buy stuff all day. I want to go into a store, have a conversation, I want someone to share something with me I've never seen before. It's just like, it's how we're wired. And so I think what has changed, though, is the respect for people on the sales floor has been elevated to a place that was lost, I think, pre pandemic. And I think now people are looking at retail technology as a way not to sort of create redundancy. Right. But rather support those people to help them do their job better so that they're not stock clerks and cashiers, but they're actually able to help customers.
0: I love that. I was actually, you know, on a panel with you not too long ago, and I actually had lunch with the other person on the panel and with Sarah. Yeah. And I love her platform for education. And We started talking about it and hopefully we'll find some way to have some synergy just because, you know, I was a counter girl. (laughs) um, And I loved selling on the floor. And I loved connecting with the customer. And I still to this day, if I hit that floor, nothing can still stop me. I still love working that floor.
1: (laughs) It is definitely something to behold. (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and I think and it's interesting because that's why I think, you know, once I got into sales, my job was always sales and education director for most companies I worked for. Just because they knew my background in the industry and they knew I knew how to connect with the sales associates and I knew how to train them. Cause when we when I started, my favorite trainings were Keels, which we know what happened to that trainer and sales director who was amazing. He started his own brand. And then, you know, and Shumura had this amazing Scene trainer. And so I took the notes on what they did always. And so when I started training, I brought that to the table and not to bore my sales associates. I just wanted them to be able to have the right tools and how to build a sale and how to teach them how to build a sale to that customer coming in. And so talking to Sarah, we went to lunch after and we connected and it was so great. And I love what she's working on. And it's interesting because now I'm partnering with like, hopefully with her for education into stores. And then also partnering with another tech environment for the back end of my business as well. Because we do have to move in that direction. But I agree with you. I do not think retail is dead. I do not think brick and mortar is dead. Because my stores that know what they're doing and that owner has a voice and creates the most gorgeous experience... She is reordering. He is reordering all the time. And their credit cards work, unlike these big departments. (laughs) Like these big department stores, which they take 120 days to pay you and then they kind of charge back everything because they don't don't want to pay you anything. So,
1: (laughs) Well, I do think there's also a moment in time where there's an opportunity for kind of new. I think even indie retailers need to think beyond the confines of four walls because I think those days are gone if you really want to build sort of a business at scale. But, you know, if you think of the retail consolidation that's happened, where does a small brand go? It's like even the online platforms that were once sort of an option. They're either owned by Sephora, the Hut Group. Like there's a consolidation that happened online. But then there's also a consolidation that has happened with Sephora partnering with Kohl's. There were brands that were at Kohl's. Like they lost that distribution. And with Ulta partnering with
0: Target. Oh my God.
1: With Target. <laughs> I, you, <laughs> Sorry. I like totally lost my train of thought. And even Blue Mercury, right? It's owned by Macy's. So, where is that next sort of chain, right? Or mini chain? There's Detox Market and Credo. And there is an opportunity to reinvent beauty retail because there's this white space that hasn't existed
0: for a long time. Oh, that's my dream. I love to start opening my own stores.
1: <laughs> I know. Don't don't think that I don't have lots of ideas. Every time I walk by all these empty storefronts, I got lots of ideas. I just need a bit more money to be able to do them. But yeah, I think retail is going to play a really an increasingly more important role in the consumer's path to purchase, and I think the brands that can connect can truly, not just checking a box of saying I'm omni-channel, I'm like, just because you have a website and a brick-and-mortar presence and some social, that does not make you omni-channel, but really create these frictionless integrated experiences for consumers. Like I think Charlotte Tilbury does a fantastic job. Like their website is like every year they like up their game, but they're creating an experience online that like breaks the like two dimensional online experience. And then they have like, it's also carried through in very ways in the physical brick and mortar components. So the pandemic created this opportunity. It was a window that's closing to clean sheet, think your business to try things, to get rid of what wasn't working. I think that window is closing right now. There are things and products and retail experiences that we can't even contemplate now that will come out of this time. And I'm really excited about it. I also think the first half of next year is when the implications of the pandemic and the supply chain and all those things we've been going through for about past 20 months are really going to hit the wall. I don't think we've seen it yet. We're not out of it. And I think all these brands that don't have a reason to exist are going to be rethink, like, does this make sense?
0: Wow. You always have so much knowledge and so much to say. And I always like baffled and excited to like have these conversations because you actually inspire me and make me start thinking what I can do to change.
1: Aw, well the same is true. I just think I suppose my entire career, I maybe I just connect dots differently than other people. I think one of the things that I love so much about what I'm doing now is that and it's why I always loved consulting because every time you have a new client, you get to think solve a new problem, right? So every day I can go down a rabbit hole and learn something and be inspired by something and then share it. And then also think like, does this have a connection to what we do or not? And sometimes it's just a matter of like some crazy thing I found that it's so out there that I share it because I'm like, this is kind of crazy and wild and Why not? Just like a creative for the sake of creative
0: inspiration and getting the wheels going. Well, I think we're about at time. I can't believe see, We always actually talk and I can talk for another hour and a half with you at least. I think we're going to have to have a dinner date or a lunch date when I'm in New York next. I know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to be in, well, not me. We're going to be in LA at least once a quarter. So there'll be plenty of time to catch up.
0: Oh, I love that. Well, Kelly, thank you so much. I think this is a wrap. But
1: of course, thanks for having me.
0: I loved having you. And I'm going to ask to have you back on my second season because I just have so much to ask you still. Will do. But (laughs) please tell all of our followers and listeners where they could find you.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty easy to find really easy to find on LinkedIn. If you message me there, I actually do respond. Do not DM me on Instagram. You will never, ever get a response. (laughs) But LinkedIn is super easy. Just shoot me a message there. Beauty Matter is, you know, we're going through another evolution. So stay tuned. We set up subscriptions and we're creating lots of value and looking to grow the community. So we welcome everyone.
0: Well. If you haven't followed Beauty Matter, you should definitely go ahead and follow it. If you're in the industry or not, it is definitely a platform that everyone should be paying attention to. And Kelly, thank you for everything you've created in your over 25 years in the industry. And I thank you so much for not only being a dear friend, but a dear colleague. I love you.
1: Thank you, David. The feeling is so mutual.
0: Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Living in a Material World with our guest, Kelly Kovac. She is a wealth of knowledge. How lucky are we to have someone like Kelly Kovac on this planet? Over 25 years in the industry, one of the main people who created the Bliss catalog before there was even e-commerce sales, everyone was shopping catalog. She was before her time doing things that everyone wishes they could actually do in their careers. So stay tuned to watch the next chapter of Kelly's life because Beauty Matter is propelling and growing and she is a source of knowledge for any new brands, any entrepreneurs, and anyone just interested in beauty. Thank you so much for listening and hopefully you stay tuned to our next episode.